Good morning again, family. If you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 12. We're getting close to the end here in our Gospel of Mark. Um, I've been wrestling with this text for a little over a couple weeks now and um, just really being prayerful about, um, as per usual, right, what, what, what God's Word is saying, uh, what He's saying to all of His people, what He's saying directly to me, what He'll have me say to you. And through my struggle, I have um, something that I need to share. Um, I don't tithe. I just don't tithe. I don't, I don't think I believe in tithing. That might be a shock to some of you or all of you. But as we go through our text this morning, hopefully we'll unpack what I mean by that. Let's talk about tithing and what it is. And you know, these days when, uh, you talk about tithing in the church, it's got a very bad connotation, especially when the pastor stands up and talks about tithing. We've got people who um, give churches a bad name because of uh, their mismanagement of the funds that are collected on Sunday mornings and extra special offerings. There's uh, many of comedians that got up to say, um, growing up in church, there's always a building fund, but no building. So there's always a question as to the management of money within the church, what is being used for, what it goes toward, and how we ought to give. And especially when you look at the, the conversations uh, out on the street, on social media and things of that nature, uh, people would say, well, why does God need my money? The answer is he doesn't. So let's see what God has to say about giving. See what he has to say about tithing. This morning in the gospel of Mark will be in chapter 12 starting in verse 41. Here God's word reads, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to them and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Would you join me in prayer at this time? Gracious Father, thank you for your word that you have breathed out and delivered to us today. 
Father, speak to us and have us to learn what it is that you would, not only for your disciples at the time, but uh, as we're reading these words and they come off the page, uh, help us to see what it is that you would have for us to learn here today in 2021. Not just for head knowledge so that we can know uh, what it is that you're talking about so that we can leave here today being obedient to what you've called us to do. Father, hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength and my redeemer, whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are in the Gospel of Mark. If you remember from last week, just previous to this, um, Jesus is talking about the scribes who want to uh, walk around in these flowery robes. They wanted everybody to see how religious and pi pious that they are. And they wanted to come and take the front row seats, the, the seats of honor to be in front of everybody. But again, uh, we keep going back to when Jesus is talking about uh, talking to these folks. And he's like, look, you, you guys don't understand the scriptures. You have no idea what it is you're talking about. In fact, you're not qualified to have the role that you want everybody to see you in. So here in a continuous of that, we see on the other side of the spectrum, we, we have, um, uh, oh, in addition to that, I forgot also in last week, it, it talked about these, these scribes. Not, not only do they want to be seen and as pious as they are, but underneath they're swindling these widows. They're managing their estates and they're taking the proceeds uh, more than they ought to, and they are uh, um, uh, predatory around these widows. So they're not living like they are supposed to be living. Now, here on the other side of the spectrum, we have this poor woman that is supremely devoted to God. Uh, we got the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. They're putting up a good face. They're wearing a mask. They're trying to get away with all these things. And then you have this poor woman Nobody even really notices, but she is showing her devotion to God. And you might also remember the rich ruler from chapter 10 uh, who loved his money more than he loved God. You remember this guy? He says, what, what can I do to get into heaven? And, and, and Jesus tells him, well, go sell everything that you have and come back. He's like, oh, man, I got a lot of stuff. Man, I worked hard for this. He loved his stuff. He loved his money more than he loved God, more than he loved or wanted to follow Christ. This woman, however, shows that she loves the Lord her God with all of her mind, with all of her heart, with all of her soul, with all of her strength. And she shows that devotion through her offering. When it comes to our offering, some people give a lot because they have a lot. And this is the core of what Jesus is talking about. In verse 41, if we look at that again, he said he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people. He's people watching. Him and the disciples, they, they're, they're in the temple, people watching. And they see here people putting money into the offering box. Many rich put in a large sum. And a poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which made up a penny. This 
treasury that is talked about here in the scripture, it, they had these chests where the worshipers will come to give their offering. Here's what's interesting about these chests. When we think about a chest, we think about a box thing that is located, but these particular things, they were trumpet shaped. And so they would curve up at the top and, and you would put, put your money in and it would make a lot of noise. It, it, I don't know if you remember going in and, and uh, uh, to a, a change counting machine. Uh, probably a lot of you are too young to remember these things, but we would collect this pocket change and some people had a, a jar or a bottle, they put it in. And, and I used to work at a bank and so people would bring in their big buckets of change and I would go to the, the coin counter and dump it in. And the more you had, the louder this machine got. So a similar thing is happening here. There's this, this trumpet-shaped chest and they would go in and uh, people would just be standing outside just like uh, Jesus and the disciples here. And so when the, the people with a lot of money came, remember these folks wanted to be seen, so they would bring their, their buckets or whatever they had to make this loud clanging noise. The people say, hey, yeah, I, I got it like that. Yeah, you, you hear that? I said, that, that was louder than the, the first guy. These, the, the, the sound reverberated all the way through the temple so people would know and understand and, get, and draw attention to what is happening. So we have these people who give because they have a lot to give, but then uh, there are some who give even though they have very little. What I love about Jesus, and he exemplifies this all the way through the Gospels, is he notices and pays attention to those who are overlooked in society, the people that would not ordinarily draw any attention. They probably don't want attention drawn to them, but they're not of the higher echelon they, they don't have any, any um, success, so-called, in the world. And so they're normally looked over. But Jesus, he's drawn to these people. If you remember from chapter 10 in verse 46 through 52, when we talked about the blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, he's sitting out there and, and he's calling. He's, he hears that Jesus come. He heard the stories about Jesus. He starts calling out to him. And the people around him are like, hey, man, shut up. Let's leave Jesus alone. He busy. But Bartimaeus, he kept calling out to Jesus. And Jesus heard him through all the commotion and everything that was going on in the crowd. Somehow, he's got this, this in-tune hearing to hear those who are downtrodden, those who are oppressed. And he hears him, calls him out of the crowd. Now here he sees this generous, sacrificial gift from this poor woman that no one else paid attention to. She was likely there alone because she was the least of the least in society. The coin Actually, it was the lowest amount, the lowest denomination that was in circulation at the time. And to help us understand, the, the text says, you know, she had these two coins and they just, they just added up to a penny. It was nothing. It's no big deal. But even though this woman was poor, those two coins was everything that she had. She gave everything that she had out of faith. Literally everything. 
she wouldn't even have enough for her next meal. But as she gave her offering, I imagine she was thinking the Lord will provide. Even though this is my last, even though I ain't got nothing else, I trust in a God who loves and cares for me and that will see to it that I have what I need. 1 Samuel 16 and 7 gives us a glimpse of how Jesus sees his people and how we see other people. And contrast it, it says, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I hope you see the contrast that's being laid out in the text for us here where we have the, the people that were well-to-do. They got a lot of dough in their pockets and they come and they, they're just going and to do things to be seen. But what about their heart? They're drawing attention and people might be excited and impressed by hearing the loud clanging as they put their, their money in the, the chest. And they might admire that, man, I wish I had that much money. I wish I was like them. Maybe you don't. But this poor woman, not looking to be seen, not looking to stand out from the crowd, gave everything because of her faith. Even though what she had to give was little in man's eyes, it was a lot in God's eyes. So there's a couple of things I want you to take away as we we journeyed through this text this morning. First is that Jesus knows why we give. Jesus knows why we give. Look in verse 43. It says, truly I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all that she had to live on. Jesus, in his divine insight, he is looking at the heart of all that were given. Everybody who was there giving their offerings, he saw both the gift and the heart. And he, he, he sees the, the acts and, and their motives in giving. There were some people who gave only because others were watching. So they wanted to go when there's the most populous time. There will be the most people there so they can, they can see what I'm doing, what I'm giving, how I'm giving. But here's the point. Sacrificial giving honors Christ even when the amount is small. The, the core of the message that Jesus is delivering here is that um, he is calling his people to give sacrificially. He's calling for us to be generous. Her willingness to give sacrificially despite her poverty makes her gift greater of a greater value than any of the larger donations 
from those who were more affluent. Would have it helped the church? Absolutely. Uh, the, the temple, I mean, I guess if they're managing the, the funds correctly, they're using them for the mission of God. Absolutely, it's fantastic that these people stepped up. But still, what's going on in the heart? What is the motive? What is the act? Where is your heart? What's going on? This poor woman gives sacrificially because she trusted in God, while on the flip side, those others, they trusted in their wealth. It, it didn't, it was no sweat off their back when they were giving. Like I said, hey, I got it. I give, hey, this is nothing to me. I'll make this back in a day. Hey, go ahead and let the temple have it. No big deal. This woman, she, she had to think and process about what was going on, what, what she was going to do how it would affect her, what her next step would be. I can hold on to this and uh, buy me some bread and pay my rent. Uh, my shoes, I don't have, my shoes are just falling apart. But I know who I serve. And if God thinks and feels that I need these things, he's, he's going to provide What Jesus sees happening with everyone else is, is that their giving isn't sacrificial. It was, it was comfortable. It fit in their budget. Or maybe they, they had so much they didn't need a budget. They just spent at will knowing that they had enough. They weren't giving God their best. They were virtually just giving out of their leftovers. In his commentary on this text, Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, the rich made a big production out of their giving, but Jesus rejected them and their gifts. It is not the portion, but the proportion that is important. The rich gave out of their abundance, but the poor widow gave all she had. For the rich, their gift was a small contribution, but for the widow, her gift was a true consecration of her whole life. Are you getting the distinction here? The, the difference in, in these two groups, these two people and their giving? So when God considers our Christian stewardship, he he not only looks merely at the amount of our gifts, but at the, the motive or the heart of our giving. And again, unfortunately, the church gets bad rap when it comes to money. There's a saying that goes, uh, a spoiled apple, uh, a bad apple spoils the bunch. And there certainly have been a lot of stories where churches have misused or mismanaged money. Well, I think we fundamentally all get, we, we get that, uh, that everything that we have is a gift from God. Hopefully we all get that right at a fundamental level. Yes. So everything that we have 
belongs to him. And whereas just to take care of it, whereas that's what steward means, or we're taking care of something for somebody else. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. Psalm 24 and 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Going back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So it breaks my heart that when it comes to the topic of money and the church, people are suspect. And it shouldn't be that way. That we should be found faithful above reproach when it comes to our dealings with God and his church and his mission. So if you take all this stuff together, what it, what it basically means is that your giving, your giving is a spiritual decision. Or take it even further that every spending decision that you make is a spiritual decision. You have to look at where it is that your money is going. You tell me where you spend your time, your talents, attention, and money, and I can tell you who your God is. Everything that we do is a spiritual decision. And as stewards, you have a responsibility to wisely manage what God has entrusted you with. Some of us, the problem comes up because we're in bondage to finances or the lack thereof. We are slaves to the amount of money that we have or don't have. You may be enslaved by either how much or, or the lack. First Timothy 6 and 8 says, But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Proverbs 22 and 7, the, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. I know how it is. Uh, you know, Libby and I, we, we got together. We, we had mountains of debt when we first got together. And it was this realization, man, we're spending uh, everything that we have, we're going paycheck to barely paycheck to paycheck, uh, going to interest and, and loans and, and credit cards and trying to keep up and having to make a decision if we're going to pay the light bill of the electricity this month. We had to really look at how what God had provided to us and, and are we truly living for him? Are we being good stewards? And it's not to brag, it's to say, I, I understand. It's not an easy thing to consider and think about. 
we, we got to think of things in terms of a giving economy. You see, the giving economy is when we give in gratitude for all God has given to us in Christ. A cheerful giver considers it a privilege to be able to give. It's a demonstration of our love and our devotion to the Lord and his church. It acknowledges that everything we have is a result of his grace and his mercy on our lives. It is also a testimony of our faith in God because we give from um, what, what God has given is the resources that he provided to us and we trust him to continue to bless us and meet every need. Therefore, giving is an act of worship. So we don't, because of the pandemic and everything, we don't pass the plate anymore and we have it positioned in various places. In the sanctuary, we, we have the function to, for you to, to, to give your offering online, but I don't want to disconnect the fact that the, the act of giving is part of our worship to him. It is showing that uh, we are being faithful to him as being stewards of what he's given. And we give generously and sacrificially because of who Christ is. You talk about a sacrificial giving. Who, who gave up his life for us so that we can be in right relation to him. And we want to be stingy. What if Jesus was stingy? Like those, they don't, hey, they're, they're not going to act right regardless. So why should I die for them? Jesus gave everything so that you can live. And so when we think through that process, when we understand what that means for us in our lives, then we approach the throne and worship and say, and give back to him. Not because he needs it, but it's because we're being obedient. So you can look at giving as if you are investing in God, so to speak. In Matthew 6 and 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Nobody can take that for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. The return on your investment will last eternally. Maybe you got to tighten your belt a little bit in order for you to be able to, to give back to God in a sacrificial way. But know at the same time, when it, with, through that sacrificial gift, that you are storing up treasures in heaven that, again, nobody's going to take away from you. There, nobody's going to steal from you. That's the delayed gratification. And we, we live in this, this, this Amazon Prime world where I can order something uh, this afternoon and have it tonight. But this delayed gratification of being able to spend forever and eternity with our Lord and Savior, man, that is something to look forward to. There is nothing better, nothing greater that we can think of or achieve that is better than our forever and eternity with our Father in heaven.
well, when you invest in things that are perishable, we're just consumed with maintaining. You, those shoes, those, those Jordans, they're going to fall apart. Or you keep them on a shelf and you don't get to wear them and enjoy them. That leather is going to break down. Your house is going to have problems. That food is going to be gone and expelled. Everything that we have and we put our money towards is on this earth is, is here and then is gone. So brothers and sisters, I'm standing here as a minister of the gospel and as your pastor tell you that I do not tithe. So what does that mean? What does that look like? No doubt many of you grew up in a church and heard the verse from Malachi just before they passed the plate around. Malachi 3 and 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But I say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring in the full tithe into the storehouse that they may be food in my house and thereby put to test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open a window of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. I know I grew up in church and hearing that every single week and I'm like, man, I, I, I can't be robbing God, I guess. I mean, <laughs> right? I got I to gotta give. Be, but if we look at it in light of our text this morning, God sees that motive. When I was giving growing up, because I was scared to, to that robbing God and being tricked into to giving, uh, God saw that motive. That he's, he's scared of these men here talking about robbing God. He's not giving out of faith to me. And I'm not saying that. I mean, that's, that's my, I wasn't giving out a good motives. Maybe there are those that are, but I certainly wasn't at the time. And God saw that motive. He saw my heart. And it's like, and I don't know what he did with it, but it wasn't a right heart. I wasn't in the right mind. You see, tithing in the Old Testament is a concept where the law required the Israelites to honor him by giving their first fruits of what they gave to them. So they were uh, to give 10% of the crops that they grew and the livestock that they raised in the temple. But if you read through the law, actually it was more than just 10%. So when a tithe means 10%, but well, there were multiple tithes. So there were tithes for the Levites where they used the temple for feasts and as well as the poor. And so when you looked at the multiple tithes, it came up to be about 23.3%. So when I stand before you today and tell you that I don't tithe, I'm willing to bet that you don't tithe either. Unless you're given 23.3%. But is that the point? Is that to check the box of like, well, no, I'm good. I'm giving 25%. I'm good, right? I'm all right. And this, again, what is your motive? What is your heart? What is, what is going on here? So the reality is that most, most Christians don't tithe anyway. Currently, people who profess to be Christians, they give about 2.5% of their income. 
nowhere near 23%, not even 10, 2.5% of their income. During the Great Depression, that percentage was 3.3. During the Great Depression, here we are in 2021. Out of all the Americans that give to their local church, only 3 to 5% do so on a regular basis. 3.5% of the people that profess to be Christians and join church, only 3 to 5% of those people give regularly to their local church. I, quite, I don't know how we call ourselves Christians, not just from the giving standpoint. Well, we just don't, we don't act like we believe in anything that we uh, claim to read in this book. We, we don't act like Christ. We, we, we're not like uh, li- little Christ and, and being like him and, and using him as our example. We're just off doing our own thing, doing whatever, whatever it is we want to do and still want to call ourselves Christians. If you read through the rest of Scripture, what we find is that after the death of Christ, the New Testament doesn't say anything about tithing. Remember, Christ came to fulfill the law. So there is no mention or perpetuation of any requirements or recommendations to give a percentage of income. 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So instead, the New Testament tells us that we ought to be generous. This is the distinction from the tithe. An offering is freely given by the Christian going toward the work of the Lord to the local church and to missions. So we are to give as we are able. So instead of the tithe or the tenth, for many of us, that might mean we give more. For, for many of us, that might mean we give 25% or 50% or whatever it is. But for others, it might be this, like this poor woman who gives sacrificially out of whatever they can. So I want you to leave here today and not downtrodden or feel guilty that you can't give 10% because you might not be called to. However, on the other side, I don't want you to think you're okay either if you do give 10%, because you might need to be giving more. This includes more than just what you put into the offering plate as well. Romans 12 and 1 says, Therefore, um, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, everything that you have, your, your body is not your own. Why? Romans 6 and 13, it says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So if we're not mandated, if it's not recommended that we give a tenth, how are we to know how much we ought to give in our offering on a regular basis. 
James 1 and 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So you got to do you got to do this work with the Lord on what he's given you to steward over and to look at how you can uh, help or put that toward God's mission and what he has for you and what he has for his church. More than anything, we need to give pure motives and an attitude of worship to God and service to the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Earlier I talked about being slave to finances. There's a program called Financial Peace University. Uh, we've done it a few times in years past, but the Financial Peace University, what it's designed for is it helps you to release yourself from the bondage of, of finances so that you can be smart about what God has given you and actually steward that and being a pay down, pay off any debt that you've incurred. How do I manage the money that I'm bringing in every week regardless of how large or small it is, how do I honor God with my finances? It is an incredible program where people have been able to pay off thousands and thousands of dollars and live a life uh, of debt-free. I had this conversation with Libby one day. What would it look like if we had no bills? Like no bills that we just had everything paid. Now we, we were able to, we got all the, the bad debt out of our lives, but we still have student loans and, and stuff like that. What would life look like if we had no bills? What could we do, not, not only for ourselves, what could we do for the kingdom if we had no bills? What would that look like for you? There's a lot of people who have, gone through Financial Peace University and have been able to achieve that dream and been able to be of more usefulness to the kingdom of God. So I mentioned that. We haven't done it in a long time, but if any of you are interested in a program like that, let me know. And let's, we'll, we'll get something put together and let's, let's go through it so that you can uh, free yourself from the bondage of your finances. This is an important part of being a steward of what God has given you. So the principle that we see in the New Testament is that we should give voluntarily. We should support the needs of others and we should support Christian workers for the outreach of other, for, for Christians to hear the gospel or for people to hear the gospel, for Christians to go out and take that good news. Again, God doesn't need our money, but what he requires from us is our submission. What he requires from us is our obedience. What he desires and values 
just as we see in this widow, is a heart that overflows with gratitude and thanksgiving to a God that has saved us and who gives us all things. And then we return a portion of this blessing to God. And when you do that, you acknowledge that you have received God's blessing and that you're truly grateful for it. And you want to continue to be a blessing to others. So, I don't know where you land. I don't know how convincing I was. You might be mad at me. You can't be. But I want, I want to take us from tithing to giving. To giving sacrificially. To giving generously. Out of obedience and out of our love for what God has given to us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, when we come just before you and with full thanksgiving in our hearts, as, as I'm sure all of us look at how you've blessed each and every one of us, the things that you've done, how you've been there for us in times of need and in times of struggle, and you've, you've brought us out of those things. Or perhaps we're here today and in the midst of that storm, that very storm. Father, help us to uh, have the faith uh, that we need just to trust in you and know that you, you've got us that you would carry us through, that you would make a way out of no way, that you would continue to provide, you would give us our daily bread. Help us to trust you and not in anything that is man-made or things that we would think up in our, our minds. Help us to wholly and solely put our trust and faith in you and who you are, what you have promised to do for us. And, and help us to to go and to exemplify the love that you have for us and to go out and serve others, to be able to, to, to be good stewards of, of what you've given us and to put those funds toward uh, advancing the, the mission and the kingdom of Christ so people might be able to hear the good news of the gospel, know the name of Jesus, that we will be building churches not, all over, not only all over in Illinois, all over the United States, but abroad as well people that would, would be able to go out in the streets and be able to proclaim your name so people might be able to hear it. Help us to, to be so generous that there will be nobody hungry uh, in the, the village of Bolingbrook, that people would be able to have somewhere to stay. They would be able to pay their rent because of the generosity of your people here in First Baptist Bolingbrook. That, that they would not have to want for anything and have to look for anything else that, so that whenever they think about a need that there is here locally and abroad, they say, you got to go to First Baptist Bolingbrook because God has blessed them with, with so many things and they are so generous to, to give it back that they take care of people because of who Jesus is. Help us to do that. Help us to be that for your good and your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.